and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Ramil. And this week, we're very sorry, but we're going back to visit the children of the corn. Before we get started, how was your week? My week was actually very, my weekend was very entertaining. We are just outside of the 4th of July holiday weekend when we're recording this. I, I I ran away. Right. <laughs> so how yeah. was Oakland well, for the Fourth of July? Well, Oakland was amazing. Uh, we were in a triangle on three sides, uh, surrounded by really spectacular fireworks displays. These uh, are put on by homebrewers. These right. are not municipal displays, but apparently they were, they were municipal level. They were municipal level, certainly. And they were the only thing that was a little bit frightening is the fact that because the proximity of everything and that we were in the center of it, it was like being at a fireworks display at a stadium, like after a game, and being on the field while it was happening. Because things were exploding directly over your head. Yeah. And there were showers of sparks everywhere, and you could see the smoke trails. That's how close you were. So it was pretty crazy. Uh, and it went on for hours. Nonstop. So it was spectacular. I don't think I'll ever see one like that again. On the other hand, yeah, it, it, it was a bit much your cat. We saw neither a hide nor hair of it for the entire time. Yes, I was gone was for, what, on. four days, and uh-huh. she was under my bed for three days of it, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was much quieter where I went. I went to a small town with so, a small you population. Were, you were firing fireworks yourself, right? We did. We bought the ones that are, you know, allowed by the city. Uh-huh. Whatever. You know, it, cities in California <coughs> allow certain fireworks, so you buy at those stands. And we got some of those, and uh, the street that my friend lives on, uh, there were up and down, you could see, and he's fortunately, actually, he's at the top of the street and the wind blows down. Right. So, but we could stand in the, in the street and see the, for, for a couple of blocks, these big wide streets in this housing development, people setting them off in the streets. Um, and then we set one off or a bunch off. And, uh, I have in fact a note in my phone to, tell his mom who purchased these fireworks right. which one to buy next year for the finale because the one that she got was really cool. Okay. <laughs> so and that was very much like also like being in a in a firework just because we set it off a little bit closer to us than maybe we should have and oh, it was no. bigger. It was fine. Okay. But it was very cl- it was very much like oh I know what it's like to be inside of a firework now. <laughs> that, that was pretty much there was a, a moment when we we're sitting on the front porch, but and... we had control over it and it was a much smaller thing. Right. So yeah, it was a moment when we were sitting on the front porch and we were uh, there were just sparks falling into the street directly in front of us, and uh, and that was something to watch. Like oh that that came a lot closer and it was loud too. So that that was another problem. It was very loud. It was very distracting. It was going off constantly. And the only time it became a problem was when you wanted to go to bed. And it felt like it was thundering outside. Yeah. And that's why I left. Because yeah. that stresses me out. And it um, we had planned to go out of town last year after right. it was so bad last year. Um, but the world said, no, no. We will not go to Reno <laughs> in this, the year of our Lord 2020. And so uh, I went to visit a friend. Uh, don't worry, we both work from home. We were very safe, and basically we played board games for four days. <laughs> Not basically; that is, in fact, what we did. Uh, and then, but uh, we shared some time with his parents, who brought over the fireworks. Uh, 
It was fun. It was good. good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Uh, now I'm back, so I can't wait till it starts getting dark tonight, two days after uh, the 4th of I July, and there will be more explosions. The extent of the explosions was so much that I don't know that anybody has any fireworks left. It was pretty okay. wild. Yeah. Yeah, we heard some into maybe like 11 or 12, uh-huh. but nothing past that, yeah. and nothing to this extent at A all. A friend of mine went jogging around the lake the next morning and said that it was just covered with detritus yeah. everywhere. Well, when I checked detritus. the weather, um, I believe at about 8.30 uh-huh. on Saturday or on Sunday morning in Oakland, it was saying that the air quality was poor for people I with sensitivities. Imagine, yes. And it had cleared out about two hours later, but I think it was all smoke. It was just smoke from these oh, yeah. like, as incendiary I said, there were these devices. big um, clouds of smoke. And they look like spiders because the there was be the initial explosion, then all yeah. the sparks flying from it. So they had these shapes that look like giant spiders. Yes, yes. Lit in smoke in the air. It was very creepy and exciting. I liked it. I like spiders. I know you do. Speaking of which, we're not getting one. No, there's there are no, no spiders, spiders in this movie. Okay, y'all, let's get down to business. Right. Okay. We're so sorry if you watched this with us because uh, it had lots of promise. Woof. All let's right. Talk about the good things in the movie. Well, let's. <laughs> Let's start, we watched the 2009 version of oh, Children of the Corn. Exactly. It's uh, going back to the beginning. It's, the, it's, a, it's a remake or a, a, another adaptation of the original short story. It's not one of the multiple sequels right. and prequels that have been released. Um, it was produced, written, and directed by a man named Donald P. Borchers. Okay. Uh, and it was released on Sci-Fi, now known as Sci-Fi, in 2009. Uh, so it's a television movie. Now, he had produced the original Children of the Corn movie. Right. Was happy with it until, mm, like, 2007, when he decided, mm, in hindsight, he believed it was, quote, too Hollywoodized and not true enough to the original short story, he wanted Stephen King to be involved in the production of the new film, so after he wrote the script, he sent it to Stephen King, and Stephen King was like, no thanks, I have no interest in being involved with this. Really? Yes. That's not a good sign. It's not. And my sense is that he read this, read his original story, went, wow, my lead dude in this is a real piece of shit. <laughs> I'm glad we made him less of a piece of shit in that movie we made. I don't want to make him more of a piece of shit now, 15 That's years later. That's one of the topics that we're going to have to cover, because there's, yeah, it's, there's a real degeneration in the likability of any of the characters in this story. Yes. When we saw the original version with, what was it, Peter Horton? Yes. And Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton is obviously the more sympathetic of the partners. Yes. Um, and Peter Horton... Has no he's a little bit of a dick, but he's right. not... Well, he has no reason at all to be as... Uh, Peter Horton, didn't, that version of the character, had no reason to be as insistent on being in the right all the time. Yes, and other than I'm the man quality. in this relationship, right. yeah. Uh, this relationship, and they were a relationship trying to find their footing. The relationship in this version of the film is dysfunctional from the go. From the go. It and both of them seem feels miserable. <laughs> more misogynistic, I think, in this case. Because yes. First of all, I think... 
So the setting of this, 1963, we see sort of an opening. Uh-huh. And then there's a flash to 12 years later. So we're in 1975. All right. Okay. Um, and then we enter with... The two, the, the bickering couple in the car, which has right. been a theme for a while now in which our is movies. A, a Stephen King theme. It's kind of like Harold it Pinter is. having two people in a room arguing about nothing. That I love Harold Pinter, but yes, that's. But a I theme. mean, that's how you can make a play, right? And, but the, the, again, that's that's his play. And place. have it produced right. for less than a million dollars right. or whatever. So we have Vietnam vet Bert. Which, again, this makes a little bit more sense to me that he will assume to be in control because at least he has some background. Right. Uh, and his deeply terrible wife, Vicky, uh-huh. who we've seen recently. Uh, she was the Sue Snell in the most recent version and of... And you didn't care for her performance as Sue Snell there either. Of Carrie. I didn't... I didn't have a problem with her performance. Uh The words they wanted her to say were the words of like a 40-year-old woman coming out of the mouth of a 17-year-old girl. And I was like, who is this? Who is this supposed to be? Um, She's beautiful. She's wearing almost nothing. And she's shot very much like she's supposed to, like we're supposed to presume she's nude. She's wearing... I think it's exactly the same amount of fabric as the terry cloth wrap that I got. Uh (laughs) That's like what you wear after you take a shower. It's a a sleeveless dress with a shirred bodice around her bust Uh and just flows to, she's, it's a mini dress and flows to halfway up her thighs. So every time we see her in the car, she looks nude because she's being filmed from, you know, bust, basically her, her bust right. line up. And there's no sleeves or anything or right. straps or anything. So she just looks naked. And then when she stands up, it's short, too. I'm just like, why? Okay, in 1975, so, mm-hmm. driving through what I presume to be Nebraska, right? Gatlin, right. Nebraska. Oh, I don't presume it. That is where it's supposed to be set. We're supposed to believe that in 1975, this black woman is like, let me just wear almost nothing. Now, let's discuss that, too. (laughs) This is an interracial couple. It is an interracial couple. And there's nothing, really, there's no comment made on that. There's no comment made on that, which would be fine if it appeared that they had ever had anything in common. Right. Had ever bonded over anything had ever had a modicum of respect or desire for the other person, had, like, these two people appear to be literal enemies. Well, she, um, from the very beginning, she hits this shrill, aggressive tone with him right off the bat. Here's the two characters, in a nutshell, as far as I can tell. She's disgusted with the fact that he's returned home damaged, and she's angry at him constantly. Yes. He... Actually, seems to be slightly psychotic. He yes, he does. He um, and she comments on this several times. Oh, we should also say. Oh, yeah, no, go ahead. He seems to actually miss the thrill of combat. He does, and she mocks the idea of PTSD and mm-hmm. how all he wants is to be back in the war. It's as though it's a sequel to the Hurt Locker. You know, yes, the Hurt Locker, where he's like, thinking. I can't. Function outside, function outside of, of this 
new normal that I've had to create for myself. Uh-huh. And so I, I'm more comfortable there. This feels like that, but not done in any kind of introspective way or yes or or way or there's no care given to it Uh she is venomous about you know you just want to kill things and be in nam isn't it isn't it wasn't nam terrible like she mocks him for his clear damage and he of course being a white man who was in the military I I presume that they get into physical altercations on the road. There is a physicality to their altercations even in this film. Even, not right. at all the point. It works I'm up like, to a Are we point. seeing so much of her skin so that we are reassured that he does not beat her regularly? I, I think <laughs> we're seeing so much of her skin because as I kept commenting during the film, she's a beautiful color. She's she is stunning. <laughs> right. But and she's amazing. She's also to look a at. human being. Uh-huh. And I just feel like the way that she is shot is so Objectifying. So this is the male gaze you're yes. saying? Yes. Um, I think that given the time... And especially since it's, the movie is called Children of the Corn. And but uh, we, for we, these two, everyone in this movie is supposed to, discuss how to be inappropriate a minor. This movie is for that title. Um, I don't think we have to go into detail about the plot that much because it's the same plot no, that we've already done. No, it's the same plot. They run they, over a kid. Yes, they run uh, over a kid. They realize that that kid was already, that their throat was slashed already. They go to find a place, or they go to the, the town to try and figure out how to return the kid or right. turn, you know. And they are beset upon by, you know, the children of the right. corn. The titular children now, of the corn. What is going to become very clear watching this version of the film is the child actors are not at the same level of performance that the other actors were. Yeah, I think that's... That's because they were mostly older. Mostly right. Um, yes, because the Isaac in this, I believe, is actually nine years old right. when this is being made. No, yes, he was born July 7th, 2000. Okay. Uh, so isn't that today? It's tomorrow. Happy birthday, Preston Bailey. Uh, so, but who I'm sure is still, you know, still acting looks like uh-huh. at the age of nine. No, oh, in 2010, he was in the crazies. Oh, wow. So he's having a hard time of it. Yeah, right. And he's gotten some young artist awards. Um, he was in Jody Moody and the Not Bummer Summer, which is a title that I enjoy. But, but he wasn't up to the, the task. And I think that's combined. That's not entirely his fault because I think that the writer director uh-huh. did not write or direct with the fact that he was going to be dealing with a nine-year-old in mind and well, then no also there there's a real aim towards in the other version of the film there's a clear acknowledgement and because Stephen King himself is a religious person um, or has religious inclinations there was a still as we saw with The Mist, a respect separating, this is fanaticism, this is not religion. And that line gets blurred here to the point where the children are having their own tent revival meeting. Yeah. Um, And there's also a real unevenness with the way the character is written because we have uh, the wife, who's played by Candace... um, McClure. McClure. Candace McClure. Who you may know from such films. Never mind. Uh, She's playing Vicky, which is Bert's wife. And Vicky is very anti-religion in general. She has a speech about having these religious figures around her home and how they basically um, they ruined her childhood and her growing up. And then later in the film when Bert shows her 
from the suitcase of the boy that ran over a corn figure, a kind of a corn crucifix god figure. She throws it in the back seat and says it's a blasphemy. Right, right. Which I didn't yeah, understand. Well, no, if you're an atheist, why is there such a thing as a blasphemy? Thing. Now, do we want to talk about the fact that did we talk about that she was Duala from Battlestar? Oh no, no, we did not. When 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 we talked when uh, she when we talked about her as Seuss now, she was also a main character in Battlestar. Galactica. So we should have spent more time with rather than with the uh, Mister Onanism. Uh, Belt. What was his name? Belt Balthazar. Balthazar. Oh, we don't have to go back to that. Yeah. So she's, you know, a good actress, right. I think. I think so. She keeps working. She's been in Supernatural, too. The issue is that she's very lovely, and that's what she's going to get cast for, I think. Um, and then David Anders, uh-huh. who plays Bert, I um, have an affinity for him because uh, he's been in a lot of things that I like. Uh, he was in The Vampire Diaries. He was in Once Upon a Time, which we didn't watch. Well, we watched the first episode and then we built. Uh, and then he was in Ali- Alias, right? And he was right, really he was a alias in alias. He was English. And he had such a He's convincing... English in most of the things I see he him in. And he is accent. from Oregon. Um, <laughs> God, who was the other kid? The guy who played Spike on Buffy. Oh, yeah. Uh, generally, English accents are sort of put on and they don't sound like they're filled from the inside. And his was really very good. Both so, of them are very good. Right. Yeah. It's, the, it's the rare occasion where someone does a really good English accent. But um, but anyhow, yeah, uh, it's good casting, and that's what makes it a pity. They're let down by the rest of the performers, though. They're let, yeah, and yeah. who I think, fundamentally, I think the writer-director-producer right. uh, mantle was uh, being... Uh, Carried by the wrong person. Right. Sorry, David Borchers. But you know what the last thing he directed was? What? Children of the Corn in 2009. So maybe he knows. Oh, we have another one coming up? No, no, no. Oh, no, 2009. This one. This, right. one. this okay. is the last movie that All right. he did. I was like, oh my God, there's another one. Well, there's but another one was, coming, right? It was pretty beat for beat. Yes. With the with the original that we watched and talked about, say, uh, with the exception that, like I said, the, this relationship was... Uh, monstrous on both Utterly sides. Utterly hostile from yes. the very beginning. And so there's no room. They start out at a nine, yes. I think, is the problem. Right. And they get up to like 11 or 12. Yeah. And when you start out that way at the very beginning of the film, there's not really much room for them to go. Yeah. And there's also not much When they like separate to, and she is killed, right. spoiler alert, she is killed, you're kind of like... Oh, at least I don't have to watch them fight anymore because right. it's rough. And that's when Bert's like, all right, little shits, I was in the war. And this is my game. There is a lot of scenes of him stabbing children in this yeah, movie. Yeah, it feels and... a little like the remake of The Wicker Man right. where you're just like, oh, I didn't know I signed up to watch Nicolas Cage punch women for two hours. <laughs> yeah, it's one of, one of the sides... And yet here we are. I'll never get over is him karate kicking Libby Sobieski Lily in the gut. Sobieski. Like, yes. all the people in the world, right? Yes. But um, the uh, there's a lot, and I'm glad that you brought up Children of the Corn, there's a lot of pastoral horror like from the 70s, things well, like... Well, I brought up... What do you mean? I, you're glad I brought up Children of the Corn? Excuse me, Children of the Corn. The Wicker Man. Wicker Man, yes. And... Uh, Let's of, also make the comparison to Midsummer, Right. Because there is a scene in this movie where children have sex well, with yes, each other. which was other. I was about to brought up. This has a scene that was taken almost directly from 
a film called Blood on Satan's Claw. Oh, is which that? Despite okay. the exploitation title, is a really good movie. It's a terror. That title makes me right. not want to watch been, that movie. Yeah, the director was like, really? This is what I'm going to go with? But it's a film about a group of children who, uh, in, oh, I guess Probably it's rural England. 17th century rural England. Oh, so, oh, way uh, to go. The, they dig up, uh, a plow accidentally digs up the bones of a, a demon. Whoops. Something that's been buried in the ground a long time ago. And now uh, we just build a crossroads. And they're over actually, that. It, it's a really creepy film, but there's a scene where one young woman is taken out and she's actually raped while these other children watch and chant. It's oh, very God. carefully shot so that you don't so see So that a they're lot. not exploiting This the... film seemed a little more vulgar because there is an actual, the two participants during the mating ritual are willing. They're willing. So it's like you're watching a bunch of kids standing around cheering on a soft porn love scene. Yeah, it's uh, And it's fairly explicit, which is weird that it was for cable because there's as much nudity as you get in an R-rated film. Yeah, so, I would say that, yeah. Yeah, because her breasts are bare during the entire scene. That's true. And they're naked from behind. And so it was fairly explicit. I was like, I thought this was a TV movie. I don't know why. And I again, had forgotten until we sat down to talk about it that it was a TV movie because right. of that scene. I right. was like, was, well, that's not... And maybe there's a... As we've often might, seen, they did a Blu-ray there's release. There's a theatrical cut yeah. or a Blu-ray. Yeah. So there could be that when it gets released in other countries, but often there'll like, be But then I'm like, does this dude know the dude that directed Jeepers Creepers? Like, are they friends? <laughs> Do I need to be worried about this guy? I don't... I. It was a very weird scene, and it's obviously cut in such a way that the presence of the children is edited together. Right. But we're also cutting together to this couple who... Fornicating. Right. <laughs> in a church. In a church. And so there's a lot of... Uh, I, I, don't, I don't get the feeling that these are like kids. Kids are not that interested in the mystery of sex. Mostly, they just find it icky. Um at least the children as young as the children who are cheering them on the scene. So if you want to see uh, that missing scene from it, from the book, that never made it into the films. No, we don't. This is close because to that. Because we knew when we were making this movie right. that we shouldn't put this in the film. It was a very, yeah, it was a weird scene. It was a weird scene to handle. I was looking at it feeling kind of uncomfortable. Like a, yeah, She was of age, uh-huh. the, the young well, woman. I'm sure they were. She was born in 1989, so she would have uh-huh. been just 18 when they were, 18, maybe 19 when they were filming this. Right. Her name is Zeta Bass. Oh, wow. So here's a little bit of trivia. Right. So I just looked her up. Okay. I'm on her IMDb page. The last two things are 2009, Children of the Corn. Uh-huh. Her credit, Ponytail Girl. She, she has to do a topless scene in a movie, and they don't even give right. her a name. Follow, in, in a movie where there are seven named characters, right. like you could have given this girl a name. And... The, her next and last credit is Californication, that show with right. David Duchovny. As, well, she was in two episodes as two different characters, maybe. Uh-huh. Destiny, and then the second character was Angry Naked Girl. So that's great. Well, okay. Now we know why she's being cast, which is a pity. Oh, I'm sorry. Those were her first and second, not her last. Oh, okay. She's been in stuff recently, so I apologize. That's just a ma'am. pity. She does a lot of things where her title is dancer or model 
or social media girl. So she's very beautiful. And that is why she is cast, I guess. It's very upset. The women in this movie... Uh, they... Yeah, the one that yeah. speaks uh-huh. is terrible. And none of them, none of the other ones speak. There's, I don't know that any of the young women have a talking part. That is a thing that they removed uh-huh. from the story, right? They they right. put these um, sympathetic children in the original movie that we uh-huh. watched that helped the couple. The couple, and we're trying to get out of it. They help them escape, and they wind up. Running. And and then there is also the 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 girl that's in love with. Um, Malachi, uh-huh. right? Right. Uh, who is given short shrift but has words and we understand her character motivation at right. least. In this, nope, all of that is removed. There's not a sympathetic child to be seen. And what we'll see, and spoiling the surprise, which is, oh. we're doing you a favor, yeah. um, is that nobody survives this film. There is, everyone dies or all the, the adults die. Which is okay because they're heinous characters. And we're treated to a very long scene when Bert is running through the corn having flashbacks to Vietnam. Yes. And whatever kind of cleverness there is in having a scene like that is taken away by the fact that it goes on forever and ever and ever. It's almost like there's filler time because we've killed off the other main character so we can only stick with him. And he's already killed several children. There's a scene where David Andrews does his best Steven Seagal impersonation, Breaking Kid's Arms. Um, which was really weird. We didn't need the close-up of the compound fracture the, with the bone splitting the person's oh, flesh. Yeah. There's a lot of overemphasized makeup, and I'll say that from the very beginning. Uh, the continuity is terrible with this film. Yeah. We yes. see them run over a child, and there's, like, skid marks, bloody skid marks that are either in or out of the shot. Out of the shot, yeah. He gets uh, stabbed back and forth. in the arm. Mm-hmm. And there is a scene where we he stops, he rips the shirt off of his arm to tie a tourniquet around it, right. which was the worst thing that they could have decided to do because he doesn't tie the tourniquet around where he was stabbed and it keeps moving. Right. And like, just co- just have a bloody shirt on. Then the continuity is right. just there and you but don't have to worry about it. There's a lot of amateur kind of mistakes with yeah. this film. Yeah, it um, really felt, it felt like a student film. It felt like... An overemphasis on gore. Yes. Like Which said, wasn't even... One scene where the the kid's arm gets broken, and like I said, it reminded me of watching a Steven Seagal movie. Suddenly yeah. the arm breaks. it, And then it goes from there to, um, despite all the gory special effects, at no point do you ever see he who walks between the rows. Yeah, I'm reading... Or behind the rows. I'm reading it? the Wikipedia thing, and I don't know if we just got a bad copy or if... I, I don't know. It says, the next day, Isaac tells the children that he who walks behind the rose... Oh, no. Da, da, da. Lost and delusional, uh-huh. Bert has visions of those he has killed and begins wandering around aimlessly, searching for the road as the plant life begins attacking him. We saw that, right. kind of. He find, he f- wanders into a clearing and finds Vicky, who has right. been made into the scarecrow. I actually like the, the plants coming out of their eyes. I right. think that's interesting. And then... This sentence is, or, yeah, this sentence. Hallucinating that Vicky's body is talking to him. Uh-huh. Do you recall that? Yes, you I do. do. 
Bert is faced by he who walks behind the rose, who proceeds to disembowel him and rip his eyes out in a form of ritual sacrifice. Now... I don't remember that part at all. It, I think we only know that because we see his body at, in right. a scarecrow form later where he has been disemboweled and yes. his eyes have been removed. But do we see he who... You were excited because you were like, oh, look who they got to do the makeup. Right. And who was it? Was it Nicotero? It was someone with a reputation, that's for sure. And I really was like, okay, we're finally going to see it. Because he who walks behind the rose, behind the rose, between the rose, around the rose. Behind, um, supposedly. He was not well served in the original film. They didn't quite have an idea of what it was supposed to look like. And this time it looked like there was going to be more uh, to it. Kurtzman. Robert Kurtzman, right. I think, is the name that popped out to you. Yeah. And uh, and the makeup otherwise is actually fairly good. And he did for Dustal Dawn, mm-hmm. The Haunting of Hill House, uh, Wishmaster, lots of stuff. Yeah. Oh, look at that. It but follows. I yeah. Ugh. I recognized the name and I thought there was going to be something to it, but it just, there was not. Jug face. We like that movie. I really, he does a lot of <laughs> Yeah, he does a good st- he stuff. does good stuff. He was asked to do blood work. He was asked uh-huh. to do wound work. Right. Uh, and then they didn't respect the work that he did. And yeah. he didn't make there was no there wasn't even like weird glowing light like there was in the original. Right. There was nothing. there was nothing. There yeah. was nothing. I just, there was I... like shadow and cut. And while I'm I am more of the don't show me the monster school of, you know, horror movies. Uh I don't mean don't ever show me the monster. I mean, like, you know, tease it out and show it when it's when I'm, you know, primed for it. Don't just show me a monster first thing off and then expect me to like two ways to go. All right. And I remember having this discussion with somebody over Harry Husband films. Right. Okay. Special effects don't age well, no matter what. Yeah, you that's... cannot make special effects age well. What is spectacular now is going to be really silly ten years from now. Honestly, I think uh-huh. the thing that I will say the the special effects that I think have held up the best uh-huh. so far, as of twenty twenty in the say one hundred and ten years of Hollywood, uh-huh. Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park. Well, I am still like a little bit like. When I see them for uh-huh. the first time. And a lot of that also is they put good actors in there well, to re- re- respond. a lot more than you remember was practical. That, no, of course. And that was, that was something that to me was a little bit um, disingenuous, which is looking at film as the birth of CGI when there was actually a lot less CGI than people remember. There was a lot they, of... But they used it the way that I like when CGI is used, right. which is, here's a practical effect. We want it to do a thing that we can't right. practically do. So we will add digital effects to it. I right. think that's when CGI works the best. But to go on to what I was saying about yes. Harry Hazen, special effects tend to age very poorly. Yeah. Um, the thing that works the best, and the reason why people are still watching Harry Hazen movies, is that there's a lot of individual imagination behind it. Right. So even if the process of stop motion isn't interesting to you, it's the design of the creatures, it's the design of the scenery. There are people who have don't like stop motion, but will still admire a scene like the Medusa from Clash right. of the Titans creeping around in the dark chamber yeah. with her eyes lit up. 
that and that's how I feel because right. I I respect and am sort of awed by stop motion, right. but that effect very much like CGI does to you in a right. lot of ways takes me out. Yeah, it takes me out of the movie. Like I'm just going. That is some cool ass miniature work, which takes me out of the film, which is yeah. fine when you're watching a movie about Medusa. Like I don't need right. to be immersed. Well, like, because this you is also fun and... like part of what Harryhausen did very well is that you're never going to see a griffin. So this is what a griffin looks like. Right. And it's interesting that as far as Phil Tippett doing the dinosaurs, the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, he said one of the more interesting things that he had to deal with doing the dinosaurs for Jurassic Park was even using CGI. The visual reference people were using were Ray Harryhausen and Willis O'Brien, you know, yeah. Harryhausen's mentor, because there's a generation of people who think that's what a dinosaur moves like. People who've never seen a dinosaur, mm-hmm. but this is what we think dinosaurs move like. So they invented what, when we think of a dinosaur, what it's supposed to do. Right. So that's a testament to how the the imagination behind it jumps ahead of the technique. And so when I'm looking at something like Children of the Corn. I don't think that anything will be fully satisfying as whatever he who walks behind the rose is supposed to be. But you could give me something. You know, the first film really didn't show anything. The second film, I really thought something was going to happen, and it didn't. And so it, what you had were characters you didn't like in a situation that was really unpleasant, and a lot of scenes that were kind of disturbing for how unpleasant they were. Children, you know, children watching orgies. Um, Children being beaten up. I, I. It was a very weird film. The end result is not great. Yeah. I mean, I could tell you exactly right now how to make this a better movie. Uh, well, you've got to... You've, if you're going to have protagonists, uh-huh. I need to be pro-the-tagonists. Right. If you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. I don't... These two people... I was just like, whatever it takes to get you guys separated from each other, right. I'm for. If that means creepy children have to kill both of you... I well, mean, I guess that's where, where we are. She is killed by the children. Yeah. Is shot in this very strange way where she doesn't react fast enough to the fact that her car is completely surrounded by these kids. Yeah. And she's constantly, she's honking the horn, trying to get her husband's attention, and he's just not paying he's attention to her. He's just not paying her. attention to her. And he's wandering around the church looking at all these neat sort of things that the kids made and look at, I'm looking at their weird Bible. One of the better commentary moments in the story is when he opens up a Bible and finds the New Testament's been completely ripped out. Right. Which isn't supported by the rest of the film because they're frequently quoting completely out of context, of course, the New Testament. So it's kind of, incon- it's very consistent yeah. that way. Yes, it is. Yeah. I, I, how to make this film is not to show the children much at all. If they Just become, have them be... If they are a nebulous menace... In right, the corn? Exactly. In the corn? Okay. It's, it's very easy. It's, it'll be much easier to do it that way because in the end, on both versions of this film, the first version realized that you are showing a grown man beating up kids, right? Yeah, it's a problem. And so anytime that you show that, you're going to lose the sympathy of the audience. And also... Everybody who's older than <clears throat> 12 is going to go, oh, my God, he's beating the hell out of a kid. It, there's, there's no way of... Yeah, yes. It's not 1975. Or something. It's yeah, not. It's, it's, very it's 2020, and uh-huh. that's, not, that's not okay. Right. I really think that what both of these adaptations are missing is uh-huh. a monster. Right. Because here's yes. the fundamental truth about this story. There is, in fact, a monster. Right, exactly. It's not... A cult. It's not. It's a supernatural thing. Something right. yes. is doing this, and we don't ever see it. And frankly, I think 
You could make a cool ass monster. You can, and that's what I was saying too earlier. That you, if you have the imagination to overdo, both of these movies point to a point, right? Um, if you watch the movie, the best, a good example, not maybe the best, but a very good example of not showing was the hunting from nineteen sixty. Right, of course, yeah. You see, sort of the walls breathe. The walls and are that's breathing. About you it. hear these pounding noises. Yes. It's very creepy because the house is the monster, effectively. So yes. you're seeing the monster. But it's not right. It's not as presenting the, as a monster in the remake, where the yeah. banister comes to life and chases you. Or you know, yeah. another example of that was the mangler when the machine sort of leaves its moorings and chases you around, which is yeah, where you're just silly. like, mm, that's not. Um, but the original film was really good for making the atmosphere of the place creepy and everything sort of believable. Right. You can do that here because everything is pointing towards the monster that you never see. Right. We did not go through all of King Kong not seeing King Kong. We didn't go through all of Godzilla not right. seeing Godzilla. Right. Um, you, if we're, the whole film is about the monster and you never yeah. get to see it, you and, just see kids screwing around. And it literally. feels to me like this especially was made uh, by a person who doesn't like religion and that is what they were harping on because right. here's, to me, the way that the kids have to be in, right. in this... If our reality is right. there is a monster in the corn uh-huh. that has either convinced these kids to do this thing right. or has sort of infected them with the need to do this, I want them to be a little bit scared. Well, that's kind of what I they... want their their motivation to be uh-huh. fear, not power. Like little Isaac in this. Uh-huh. And and to some to some extent in the original, uh-huh. he's portrayed like a fire and brimstone preacher, right? In a in, not in a way that is necessarily true to that person, right. because I don't know what the truth is. But the way that it's often portrayed in media as a shyster, right. as a shyster who is bent on getting power and people right. to praise and follow him or do what he says, right? And I. Can't believe that from a nine-year-old. I power corrupts, but I don't think it corrupts a nine-year-old child. Well, I think the thing is, it comes from a wrong concept about religion, which is that it's based entirely in fear. Right. And there are elements okay. of that to every religion, where it's like, yes, there's something that you should be concerned about, either doing the wrong thing or uh, bad karma or hell. There's that right. element to everything, but there's an element to ethics and everything else in government. Anything that is secular. Too, but this film, you're right. The motivation of the kids shouldn't be, we have to get out the infidels because they're infidels. It should be that thing's watching us and we don't know what it's going to do. Right. Because kids are much more concrete than that. Yes. They are much less likely to buy a pie in the sky idea if there's a monster sitting in the corn waiting to devour them if they don't do the right, right. thing. Right. Right. Which is why, yeah, you. I think you have uh-huh. to delineate whether the children are sort of infected. Right. Where it's a little bit of this corn creature. I don't even know what to call it. They never give it a name, right? Right. He who walks behind the rose, but that's a lot to say, yo. Has infected them a little bit, so it's it's consciousness coming out. It's possessing them in some level. Yes. But I I need that to be explicit. Right. Or I need them to be in fear. Like, I need there to be some sort of fear. Because, yeah, little Isaac just seems like a power-hungry asshole. But for what? Also, he doesn't I, really accomplish anything by a that. The thing that yeah. I don't like as much about this one is that I that I didn't, you know, I didn't love the original Children of the Corn, but right. it was a whole movie. It was a better film. This doesn't yeah. feel like a whole movie because the other thing is 
we see this town is destroyed, decimated. Mm. There's there's nothing happening in it. First of all, who's planting all this corn? The machinery seems to not work. Right. They're making a meal at the end, but we're not seeing where this food is coming from. Like, well, that, I want a little bit of their infrastructure, maybe. What it which also, you do get a little bit in the other right. one. Right. What you... The other film strictly avoided the topic of sex entirely. And I'm fine with that. It's and children of the corn. Ma- so. does it make sense is this is... It didn't... Not entirely, because uh-huh. it, they did explicitly say, which they showed it in the book, but they uh-huh. didn't explicitly say because at this point, Bert has no one to uh-huh. talk to. That's the other problem. Without the kids working with Bert, he's talking... Once Candace... Or once um, Vicky, uh-huh. Candace McClure's character, goes... There's no one for him to interact with. Right. And so... Well, he interacts with his hallucinations of the Viet Cong, is what he does. Right, which is not it's not helpful in right. the plot of the movie Doesn't or the understanding. No, so we not. do see that these, the first two born after were Adam and Eve, uh-huh. and it had to be two kid, like right. underaged individuals, right? The older kids, older teens, obviously. But so they, they talk about... The, and, and he sees that in, in the other one... He sees that and he says it out loud. He's like, they are repopulating. Like the right. little one, these little ones came from these older ones. Like that's what's happened. And they do say it explicitly, but yeah, we don't see the actual act of it happening. They just say, well, this is what's happening. Well, you don't see it. And I think that the covering of the topic in that weird half-hearted exploitational way where it's just there to show off how... Um, it literally felt, and I couldn't be because uh, Midsummer was made ten years later or whatever. Right. It felt like they saw Midsummer and was like, "I want to do something like that." Well, as I pointed out, <laughs> they saw another movie and did that. Oh, um, I guess that's right. But with Midsummer, there is, and also with Blood on Satan's Claw, there's a reason why this scene exists in the film. It's not just there to show off this young girl and her boobs, which right. is what this felt like. Like it that had is no what relationship. It felt like. I was to, like, I was like, these actors are clearly uh, deeply uncomfortable. There was like, no relationship between this and the rest of the film. No. It doesn't have any impact or bearing It was literally like, so see, it's okay that he's killing children because right. look what they're doing. Like, that's not, what? No. <gasps> yeah, it was very strange. Oh, I thought you had another thing no, to no, say. No, no, I mean, there's not really much to say about uh, it. It's yeah, just, don't it's, watch this, y'all. This film really... You'd have to pay $1.99. Mm-hmm. It is deeply not worth it. It, it, it doesn't succeed on any level. Uh, it goes from at times just kind of boring to at other times offensive. What I can say about it, it has really lovely cinematography. That big so? sky country is really captured very well. It was they use filmed, the horizon line really well. Um, it was filmed in Iowa. Uh-huh. Written, directed, produced by Borchers, which also his <coughs> name is a bummer. A producer on the original film. Filmed in Lost Nation, Iowa, and rural Oxford Junction area, Quad City, Iowa, Illinois area, after receiving an, a recommendation from the Iowa Film Office. And by recommendation, I believe he means taxpayer. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he just had the property still and decided to do a remake. You know, you had the rights to the property, so you just went that ahead. That feels right. Right. And it's like the property is running out. It'll go to somebody else. I'll have to put up a bit Although on it. Although, so. in between. The, the, uh-huh. There's been so many sequels. Yeah, there is. This felt more like a sequel a, rather than an attempt at the original because the characters were so different and not much. I don't know how much gas you can get out of the story, to be honest. It 
I, I don't really feel like, how many ways can you tell this? How many ways can this happen? Honestly, um, I've been listening to the back catalog of Blank Check. Uh-huh. And um, David on that show, I believe, brought up the uh, the the Twilight Zone test right. for a Which horror is... movie. Could you do it in a half an hour? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> could you... Could you and maybe did Twilight Zone do this in a half an hour? Often it did it much better. Often, right. And this does not, like, this could have, this could have been a half an hour long. Right. Oh, it no, easily. Have, easily. There is, uh, the last And time... I would have been more on, in line with the quote-unquote protagonist. Uh, and there is something... Even to, and and of course, he Borchers didn't write the Wikipedia page uh-huh. for this. But when you look at the cast on the Wikipedia page for this, the first two are David Anders as Bert, the main protagonist, along his wife, which is just a typo. Right. Candace McClure as Vicky, Bert's wife, like. That's very that's very telling as to this thing. Vicky is nothing except right. Bert's wife, and uh, it's a bummer because they could have given her literally anything. Well, they call the other woman Ponytail Girl, so yeah, I guess that's right. I mean, it's not it's not like they're very forward thinking here. I just feel that this this movie it it doesn't contribute anything it could have been one of the endless sequels to this to Absolutely. the children record make there it is, na- make it in the 90s and right. and make it a good like a good relationship make i'm i'm all about an interracial relationship i have no problem with that and that's an interesting thing yeah if there was something done with it if it's just sort of let unless left yeah, it you die to death for no particular like, reason literally why are these two people why did first of all when did they? How did they meet? Right. How did they? Like, there's. N- if you no had an interracial couple any... in 1975, right? Yes. That was still an issue. Yes. And so, some sort of explanation like, or some sort of background. That's a choice they both made, and right. I don't understand why yeah, I, and I, what I, they've given me. No, I don't either. But, um, but yeah, I just this was disappointing. There is the last time that we covered this movie when we covered the other film version. I posted on our Facebook page a 10-minute film, thereabouts, maybe a little bit longer, mm-hmm. uh, version of Children of the Corn, which was vastly superior because it told more or less the same story in a very condensed period of time. Mm-hmm. And that got across all the elements that you needed. It was a little bit different in that there wasn't a, a great deal of money to spare, but, um, but it made a really sort of palpable menace to this couple. So I like that one much better. Yeah. And you're right. It could have been done in, in half an hour. Half an hour. It could have been done in half an hour with commercials. I mean, right. like, the meat here is r- racist and uh, misogynistic. Right. And I think an affront to Vietnam vets. Like, like there's not a group that gets out unscathed here. No, there's a lot of just sort of like, uh, it's mean-spirited and it feels that way it yes. feels kind of mean-spirited and it's almost like borchers got that letter back from stephen king that was uh-huh. like i'm cool yo thanks anyway though 
And he was like, well, fuck you then. And fuck your characters. <laughs> and then he yeah. just, like, he just directed Matt. Don't direct Mad. Like, right. But it feels like he might have, might have. Yeah, it just, it doesn't work. Yeah, no. Don't watch it, y'all. Okay. Let's close the door on the Children of the Corn. I'm looking Until at... Until the next remake. I actually don't think... Well, yeah, maybe. But right now... Uh-huh. Actually, that's a thing we can talk about. That was um, actually a thing I was thinking about t- discussing since we didn't have too much to talk about right. uh, with this particular film. Uh, so let's look ahead and let's see what's going to happen. So next week we're going to watch Bag of Bones, or this week we're going to watch Bag of Bones, and next week we're going to talk about it. That is a two-part thing, a miniseries. It was on TNT. Uh, We will watch all of it, I think. So it'll be a three-hour watch for us. So we're going to do that. It's got Pierce Brosnan in it. I remember liking it. Oh, wow. I don't remember this at all. Uh, I remember liking it. This, once again, is going to be a writer in a house. Yes. Because it's a Stephen King book. Because so writers can't afford real vacations. Uh, yeah. I attest to this. And then we're just going to keep going. But a lot of what's coming now, so we're hitting the 10s. The uh-huh. We're hitting 2010. So we're hitting the, la- the final decade. And a lot of what's happened in the final decade are series uh-huh. uh, or mini-series. So we're going to do some of these things and not do other of the, as others of them sort uh-huh. of as we go. And some of the reasons that we will and won't, we'll, we'll address them. We're not going to like pretend that they don't exist. But uh, for instance, I would like to watch all of the Mr. Mercedes uh, miniseries. That's okay. 30 episodes. It's three different series. And I believe that we're going to watch it like a series and then there'll be stuff in between and then uh-huh. another series. Um, eleven twenty three six or eleven twenty two sixty three is, I believe, a ten part thing. I think we started seeing that. We started seeing it. Right, we'll probably watch. We'll probably do it in fives. We'll okay. probably do it five pieces, a two hours at a time, like it was a movie. I think that makes sense. Um, we're not going to rewatch the entire TV series of Under the Dome. It was several uh... seasons. And it started... I completely forgot about that. Right. It started one way and ended a different way. So maybe we'll watch like the beginning and the end. We'll we'll do something on it, but we're not going to do a whole... It was unsustainable. And I'll tell you, I can tell you the entire program. Boy kidnaps girl, keeps her in the basement. Somehow... Let's not... I don't want to... But what I want to address with that is that the issue became... After the initials, you couldn't follow the book and have a natural climax. Right. So at some point, he becomes one of the heroes of the story. Yes, yeah. No, that's this kidnapper. True. And then most of the program consisted of Rachel Lefebvre sort of marching around from scene to scene, bouncing her hair. I remember that. I forgot and then that she was even came in running it. up to her saying, we're running out of food. And that gag kept getting pulled where she just sort of stomping around from one location to the next and someone runs up to her that we've never seen despite the fact the entire town uh, is, has about it. It's yeah. like, I'm the local water scientist and we're running out of water. And then by the end of the 60 minutes, they have to sort the water situation out. And there's all these mysteries and clues. I think that Lost left a very big footprint yeah. for people. And so there was a lot of attempts to create that sort of buzz around something mysterious with yeah. clues that you had to put together. This was not it. This was not it. And I, I'm going to do some more research. I read the book. I can't remember it, though, so I'm going to have to go back to it and see if they changed 
if in the book you even find out what the deal is, right? And then if they changed it for the well, show. Well, yeah, when it got to a second season, I'm going, okay, yeah. this is getting ridiculous. There are now. certain things where I'm like, how are we doing a second season? Right. Of like Prison Break was always one where I was like, how are there so many seasons we have of to that break show? In again. Right. They kept breaking in and out of prison. Twenty-four. Yes. Also, that dude just needs to stop answering the phone. Stop right. answering the phone. Just don't answer your phone anymore, dude. Uh, yeah. So, so we're not gonna we're we're gonna talk about it, but we're not gonna do a whole rewatch. That's not gonna happen. The other thing that I've decided, and I think uh-huh. we decided this oh, together, you decided, really, have you? was the Mist TV show. We yes. are not going to rewatch. We watched it when it was on. We will and discuss talk about mixed signals also with. Who is the hero and the villain in that show? Yeah, it's there is a yeah. really uncomfortable kind of feeling when you're cheering for a man who you later find out is a rapist, and yeah. when the show yeah that's right tips its hat that I way. Forgot. Like I you're like I've been you know over here cheering for him for all these seasons, thinking he's a victim, and also he was I can't remember if he was transgender or he's I don't I legitimately don't right. remember. Or so he's identifying we'll, we'll as talk gay, about it. and it just became oh so then. And you're in the beginning of the story rooting for him because he's the underdog in this community. And then you find out he's actually the rapist. Oh, that's And right. it was just so weird. Like, wow. Oh, jeez. I had blocked that whole what? situation. There was a lot of really strange things there. And the characters, again, not many of them at all were likable. Like, you didn't mind if all these people got eaten by monsters. But that what? was the worst part. There were no monsters. There were no monsters. It's, I, I yeah. love my monsters. And it had a good cast. Past, yes, which was it just, dis- this was sort of really promising thing. and just went yeah. south really quick. So, so we're we're gonna like I said, we'll talk right. we'll talk more in depth with each of those things, um, but we're not gonna do a whole thing now. There's a television show called Haven uh-huh. that, by all rights, should be actually the next thing we talk about because it started in 2010. Uh, we may come back around. It is loosely based on a novel called The Colorado Kid, okay. uh, which is a very much lesser known Stephen, Stephen King, King thing. Okay. So while it is technically an adaptation, I'm leaving that be a little bit. That's a television show that aired for five years on sci-fi. Right. Uh, and I started watching it and it was like a little bit intriguing. But I didn't. I was like, "This. If we do this, it's so gonna be a what year." Is, what is the? Uh, is it like a western or? No, it is. That's what it sounds like. It yes, Haven does definitely sound like the follow up. Well, it's oh, well, based the Colorado on Kid, the Colorado yeah. Kid. Sounds like a western. So the show deals with strange events in a fictional town in Maine named Haven. Okay. Uh, let's see. Five seasons happen. So FBI Special Agent Audrey Parker is dispatched to the small town of Haven, Maine on a routine case. She finds herself... It's it's also very much like uh, Twin Peaks, right? Okay. She fi- finds herself becoming increasingly involved in the return of, quote, the Troubles, a plague of supernatural afflictions that have occurred in the town at least twice before. With an openness to the para- possibility of the paranormal, she also finds a more personal link in Haven... That made it lead her to the mother she's never known. So that's the... The hook. The hook, right. Right, okay. And uh, like I said, I enjoyed the watch of the first episode, but to do the whole thing... Well, maybe you can watch a selected 
there are 78 episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so maybe we watch a, a, a selection and that, but we'll do that down the line maybe when right. we are in the midst of something else or, yeah. So, so we're not going to do that. So please know that we know, we know, but we also know that we don't want an entire year dedicated to a television show that we have never seen because we may not have anything to say about it. About well, it. it's a thing about how um, how difficult it was to get through. Uh, I think Twin Peaks. I think Twin Peaks was, was rough. Battlestar ended up being rough, right, which was, was a bummer. It, it uh, and I don't know if it's that the show didn't age well or it seemed really fresh and new at the time. Yeah, we know a person, our old roommate, roommate, um, who really loved both of those shows. She loves Twin Peaks. She loves Battlestar. Yeah. And she was really enthusiastic, and uh, I'm worried about ever watching Heroes because that was another one that she was really. I liked to. Heroes when it started, but I fell off of it, and I never right. went back. And I heard that there are good seasons and bad seasons, so I'm gonna definitely, if I go go back to Heroes, I'm yeah. gonna rely on the internet to tell me what to watch and what not to watch. <laughs> Thank you, internet. You're, it's really the best thing about the internet. Tell me is. to watch these things in this order. It's great. Mm-hmm. While we've been making this season, several things have have come out. Right. And several things now are production or or have been announced. And now we're in this this <clears throat> space of there's no production happening. But when we started this, none of these were listed in upcoming films. Uh-huh. And right now, and I'll read the directors alongside yeah. Because these are the ones that that kind of make me think, oh, these might actually get made. Right. The Boogeyman was uh, Scott Beck and Brian Woods attached based on the short story of the same name. The Breathing Method was Scott Derrickson attached based on the novella of the same name. The Dark Half oh, uh, with Alex Ross Perry, uh, who has been on Plane Track a whole bunch. That's the... And his name's about to come up again, based on the novel of the same name. So a remake of The Dark Half, which I think could actually be really good. Yeah. From a Buick 8 with William Brett Bell attached. Uh, the Long Walk with Andre Overdahl attached, which is wild a little bit. Do you know who that is? No. So he did a movie in 2010 called Troll Hunter. Oh, yes, I do yeah, remember yeah. that film. And then he did The Autopsy of Jane Doe and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark that okay, we didn't end up ever see. seeing, yeah. unfortunately. But maybe we can now. Uh but I like his visual style. So right. that's interesting. And The Long Walk will be... Like, I feel like in a world of Hunger Games and right. and Maze Runner, The Long Walk is actually a very smart thing to adapt right now because I think it it's this, it's that, that same right. vein okay. of thing, right? Mile 81 with uh, Alistair Le- Le- Legrand attached. Rest Stop, uh, based on the short story, the same name, also with Alex, Alex Ross Perry attached. Revival, Salem's Lot uh, with uh, Gary Doberman attached, uh, The Talisman with Mike uh, with director Mike Barker attached. And the Talisman um, is the th- I have always wanted to write a script for that. Okay, it's my favorite of his works, and it's been in it's been sort of in production or in development, development for two decades. Yeah. Maybe three. It's been a long time. And this is new, too. The Tommyknockers with James Wan attached. That promises to be better than the very baffling 
one that we watched. So that's upcoming films, things that have been attached and have current directors attached, right? right? That's all of those. Then there's television. And we have The Eyes of the Dragon. We have The Institute. We have Chapel Wait, which is based on the short story Jerusalem's Lot. That's going to be on Epics. Uh, Eyes of the Dragon set for Hulu. Um, Lisey's Story is set for Apple TV. Sleeping Beauties set for AMC. The Stand, we knew. CBS All Access is doing The Stand. And now they've just announced Overlook, a spin-off series based on The Shining for HBO Max. So it's not... Stopping. We might have yeah. to effectively at some point call a cutoff. Well, my sense is right. we'll get to a point where we will have done everything that has been produced and then we will move on. Right. And then when a new thing comes out, right. we'll, we'll come programs, back to right. it. If we continue yeah. doing the show. I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the world. But, the world could end. Uh, so I'm just saying, like, originally... It looked like we had we had stuff until about November of 2020, uh-huh. and now, as it stands, when I do my little spreadsheet of, you know how how long out things are going to be, the last thing that was produced and released was The Outsider, which we did watch. Which, if we stay on this once a week thing and do all the Mr. Mercedes things and kind of do what I've laid laid out. It, we've got another year from now. Uh, okay. July 1st, 2021 will be the last Outsider episode. Uh, and, oh, and we haven't decided whether we're going to do the new Creep Show. Yeah, That's we'll another thing that, that yeah. you know, yeah. So, I mean, there's, we're, I hope you guys like Stephen King, because uh, apparently think... the world likes him now, because right. all, you know, when we started this, we would have been done one, two, three, four, five, six, Six items earlier. Right. And a lot of that is like season three of Mr. Mercedes, right? Like season two of Castle Rock, things like that. So, and we will talk about Castle Rock, and I think mostly because I like, I would, I want to rewatch them, and they're really good. And I do recommend watching those, especially if you like Stephen King but don't, don't have a deep dive. Right. It'll give you some Easter eggs that you'll know, There's even a lot if of fun you're stuff. not yeah. deep in it. And then if you are deep in it, it's even sort of more satisfying. So, uh, yeah. But up next, to circle back around, Bag of Bones. Okay. Pierce Brosnan. I don't know that I ever saw it, so this will be interesting. But listen to this cast. Pierce Brosnan, Melissa George, Annabeth Gish, Anika Noni-Rose, Matt Frewer, Jason Priestley. Wow. Uh, I'm very excited about it. It sounds interesting. Uh, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. My fingers are crossed. So hopefully, I I think it would have to work very hard to be worse than what we just watched. Yeah. So at the very least, we're on an upswing. We'll do that. So in the meantime, do you have any recommendations for Um, our listeners? Not for anything recent. I've been enjoying, and I haven't finished, as uh, the Netflix TV show Marianne. Ah. Which is a French miniseries. Um, about a teenage girl who brings a witch back to life, and that's been enjoyable. Whoops. Uh, I got to the meat of the story. There's a flashback to some sort of unspecified incident in her past, and uh, I barely got to that today. I think I'm through the fifth episode, so that was really um, that was fun. I think 
that if I was to recommend something new, it wouldn't necessarily be a movie, because okay. I haven't seen that many, many movies lately. But I did, there was a um, a podcast that did uh, recently, and it's uh, called a Mystery Machine, it comes from the BBC. Mystery Machine? And it Yes, and okay. it did, they did an adaptation of The Case of Charles Dexter Ward by H.P. Lovecraft. The Case of Charles Dexter Ward? Yeah. Okay. So I, so I'm having trouble understanding you. So, so um, typically I have issues with H.P. Lovecraft, uh, yeah. mainly with his racism. And it's not that I'm going to, I'm, this is cancel culture. Well, because he's a racist, I can't uh, read his work. No, it's because the racism is explicit and implicit in nearly everything that he wrote. So it's very hard to get through it sometimes. Um and also his cultural attitudes and the fact that his writing is, puts me at a distance. Yeah, you don't enjoy the Florida but language. But a lot of those problems are taking out because this is basically taking the characters who already exist in this TV sh- or this uh, podcast and just dropping them to the middle of this case. And so there's a sequel to it, which I haven't heard and I might not because, you know, it, it's a commitment of time. But there are 10 episodes that are very cleverly done where they do a serial type podcast investigating this person who... Gotcha. And it's very... It's funny at times. There's two investigators. One is... It's produced by the BBC, so one of the investigators is English, the other is American. And they're doing a bi... bi, uh, Bicontinent... No, 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 because England's not a continent. Um, Bicoastal? No, because that would be two separate coasts of the same continent. But uh, they're doing an investigation that goes back from New England, back and forth between New England, New England and England proper, uh, and uh, trying to find all the clues that put together this case. And so they're taking a story from a writer who's kind of problematic and stripping it of the things that were problematic by nature and dropping a lot of fun Easter eggs into the story in the process. So, yeah, it was like, okay, this is how to make his, this author with all of his issues palatable, is to focus on what he did right, which is creating this sort of mythology with all these characters in it that was very, very detailed. And so I would have to recommend that because it came to a really fun head. And I, like I said, I don't know if I'll get the, the did a sequel, Whisper in the Darkness, which is also a Lovecraft property. But I love the idea of taking characters that already exist and dropping them into a property that already exists. Yeah. And having them roam around in here and try to solve a mystery. And if you're familiar with the stories at all, they've adapted. It becomes really fun watching, oh, what, what what's going to happen when they discover this? Or what's going to happen when they discover that? So you're actually a step ahead of the detective, but at the same time rooting for them. Because it's a very dangerous world that they're operating in. So right. that, that was a, a fun uh, listen for me. Nice. So what would you recommend? What would I recommend? That's a good question. Um... Just went through four days of not watching anything but Hamilton. Ah, that okay. sounds like I just watched Hamilton for four well, days. Well, there but you it, go. That's something it, to recommend. I did last week. Now we'll be able to watch it. Now, I haven't well, seen it yet. Yes, we are going to watch it. So I'll bring that to you. I'm going to stop harping the Hamilton. Uh-huh. He does, well, honestly, he's doing fine. He does not need my help. Well, it's not like any necessarily needs it. What you're doing is recommending it because the audience needs it. Yeah. Well, yes. No, that's true. But like I said, I, uh-huh. I, I did last week. Um. So, oh, you know, if you are still looking for a a fluffy show to take your brain, you know, away from all of the horrors of this world right Uh now, 
if you need a 45-minute break. Uh, the new show on Netflix, Crazy Delicious, is a lot yeah. of fun. Oh, that's... Yeah, uh, that's you, wa- you and I watched an yeah, episode. Yeah, we watched a couple. Uh, it's a cooking competition. It's got a British sensibility to it. It's a little whimsical. Carla Hall of Top Chef and... What did we decide? The Chew? I think it was... Yeah. Uh, fame is in it, along with... Oh... I always forget the two male judges' names because they're like uh, Scandinavian names that are uh, unusual to me, but they're very famous. Two very famous chefs. We'll call. We'll say that. Along with other British, they're the judges, and uh, a funny British host who pets and talks to bunnies while hosting. So that's pretty good. It's a it's a fun cooking competition show where they're making. "Quote unquote crazy food," and it is crazy food. It's, yeah, uh, I'm, they're not a kidding. lot of it like the second round strange. is reimagine a thing, and uh-huh. so the more sort of out there your reimagining is, the the better that you do. You know, provided it you know takes uh, tastes good, right. tastes good. Sorry, I think my exhaustion just hit me, so I apologize. I apologize, everyone. I didn't go to sleep until 5 a.m. this morning, so the fact that I'm talking at all right now is a miracle. <laughs> so I think we're going to call it there. Bag of uh-huh. Bones next week, guys. Watch well, it on Pierce Amazon Brosnan, Prime. Famous horror star. Pa- yes, Pierce Brosnan. Do you know famous that he started Bond? In, uh, in a Hammer, an episode of a Hammer House of Horror. I think that was his first professional part. I did not part. know that, no. And he started a really good horror film from 1986, Nomad, that was directed by... John McTiernan, who went on to do Die Hard. So, yeah, he has, a, he has okay. a horror background. He also worked with Roman Polanski later on in life, although dun, dun, not dun. in a horror film. But, um, but yeah, so there's a, a weird connection between him and horror movies. So this is interesting to watch him go back to basically his roots. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that history. So yeah. that'll be good to see. And that's probably why he's good in it, pre- presuming he's good in it. We'll find out. He's a good actor. <laughs> he is a good actor. So hopeful. my fingers are crossed. Ooh, Thomas Crown Affair. I want to rewatch it. Mm. I love a heist. Watch a plan come together. All right, guys. We'll let you go with that. Uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, please reach out to us, latecomerspod at gmail.com, on Twitter at latecomerspod, or uh, on Facebook. You can put latecomerspodcast in the search bar and you'll find us. I remind you to take your medicine. And we remind you better, better late than, than never. never.